and we give you all the praise because you deserve it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series entitled Questions by Jesus. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about where are the nine and the need to be thankful Christians, how important that is to be thankful for the many blessings God gives us. Remember, the ten lepers were healed. Only one came back to say thank you. Then we talked about last week, Jesus asking the disciples, why are you so afraid? When the waters were crashing over the boat and uh, they thought they were going to die, and Jesus walks to the front of the boat and says, peace, be still. Why do you have so little faith? To have amazing faith in God, and faith casts out fear. I was uh, driving my car this weekend. I had a pretty uh, amazing um, spot in my car that I, I came to, a, a mark, if you will, in my car mileage that I came to. And I had to stop and take a picture. Of course, I wasn't driving when I took this picture. But here was the mileage. I, I just happened to catch my eye. And this won't happen for another 100,000 miles. Here it is, 266,000 miles, 666. Now, do you think I was pretty careful driving uh, during that mile? No, I didn't care at all. Why? Because we're not to be what? Afraid. We're not to be fearful. We're not to live our lives like that. I can't wait till I get to 366,000 in my 98 Jeep Grand Cherokee. 266,000. We don't have to be afraid of numbers like that. Now, obviously, God gave us 666 as a sign of the Antichrist and his coming, right? So it is something to be watching for. But we don't have to live fearful lives like that. This is not an unlucky number. And God hasn't left me during that time. We're to live bold lives that are courageous for Jesus Christ. Today, I want to talk about this. Do you love me more than these? A question that uh, Peter was asked by Jesus. And it's an important question. Here's the bottom line. Peter was discouraged and defeated following his failure leading up to the cross. But Jesus wanted to restore him, recommission him, and remind him of the importance of following him even in times of great disappointment. We're going to see an amazing recommissioning, a restoration of Peter. And to me, it's a very encouraging part of the Word of God because it tells me that God wants to restore us. When we fail, when we fall short, God wants to make it right. Jesus wants to make it right. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21. An amazing story of restoration. Now remember, Peter had denied Christ how many times? Three times. Who did he deny Christ to? A servant girl, basically. Outside in the temple courts. He'd been with Jesus for three years while Jesus was inside uh, being tried, a mockery of justice, and eventually Jesus would be led to be crucified. Peter was outside denying him three times. In fact, at one point he cursed and said, I don't even know the man. Now, could Peter be restored? I'm sure he was wondering that. Could he really be used by God again? Could God forgive him for uh, denying Jesus three times? times? Yes, he could. Yes, he could. Let me read this. I liked how one writer put it. After his denials, Peter was acutely aware of his own inadequacy, his own failings, his own weakness. Rather than stepping out into the power of the resurrection and moving forward with Jesus' call on his life to be an apostle, Peter had reverted back to being a fisherman. 
And evidently, he brought the others with him. Like an athlete who lets down the team in a big moment, Peter had fumbled the ball after vowing to be a superstar. Remember he said, even if everybody else falls away, I will not. I will die for you, Jesus. And Jesus prophesied that, will you die for me, Peter? Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. That's exactly what happened. I believe Peter was discouraged and disillusioned, and he felt like quitting, like giving up. I don't know if you've ever been there, but this passage should speak to all of us. The disciples were struggling with guilt, all of them. They'd all run away. They've all fled. Failure, shame, discouragement. They felt like giving up, and Peter certainly experienced that when he said, hey, I'm going back fishing. Let's read it. John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught how many fish? Nothing. I've been there. I've had that same experience at the men's fishing outing, men's ministry. I caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now, what's the one question fishermen don't want to hear when they've caught nothing? Yeah, how many fish do you have? Zero. Have you caught any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, Cast the boat on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, here's a great miracle right here. They did it. You would think, why would a fisherman ever, like, do that? What difference does it make what side of the boat I cast the net on? He said to them, cast the boat on the right side of the net, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, who was that, by the way? Who was the disciple that Jesus loved? John, the guy who was writing this account. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, here it is. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's the first thing I want to remember from this passage. It's this. 
Come to Jesus as you are at the earliest opportunity. Come to Jesus as you are at the earliest opportunity. I love how Peter responds when he knows that it's the Lord standing on the shore. He puts on his outer garment. He jumps into the water. He can't wait for the boat to eventually get to shore. He has to get to Jesus as soon as possible. But I'm sure as he approaches, he's reminded again of the times that he failed Jesus, the three denials. But he wanted to get to Jesus. He jumped in the water and swam to shore. He wanted to get there as soon as possible. And I love that picture of coming to Jesus. I don't know if there's anyone here today who has not made a decision for Christ. You don't know the awesome God that created you. You don't know that he went to the cross to die on the cross for you. Maybe you know it, but you don't believe it. I want to say today, the Bible says, is the day to make that decision, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the reality of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross changed thousands and thousands of people in early Jerusalem because Jesus truly had risen from the dead. It's a powerful message. And Jesus, I love the passion of Peter here. Even though he's struggling with guilt, he'd gone back to fishing, he'd kind of given up. It's what he knew. He, it's what he was comfortable with. He went back to fishing, but now wanted to be near Jesus. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The wisest decision anyone can ever make is right now, right here, I'm coming back to Jesus. I've drifted away. I've gotten into other things. I may have feel like I have failed him, but Jesus is calling you back to him right here, right now. Say, Lord, I've been away too long. I've been away too long. I need to realize that the most important decision I will ever make is to make myself right with you, is to draw near to you, to do what you said, Jesus, to put my faith and trust in you, like the verse we all know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He told that to Nicodemus, hey, Nicodemus, you have to believe in me. The most important decision you'll ever make. Now is the time, Nicodemus. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now is the time for all of us to draw near to him. When I reflect on that miracle of the 153 fish, there's some important little observations I want to share. Uh, number one is this. Agreeing that what Jesus said was right didn't bring blessing. Saying, you know what? Hey, we should throw the net on the right side of the boat. That'll make a huge difference. But just saying that doesn't bring the blessing. Determining that they would absolutely do it later didn't bring a blessing. If they had said, yeah, Jesus will do it, but maybe next week, that wouldn't have brought the blessing, right? They received. I like what Matthew 21 says about the two sons. You know, the two sons, Jesus told this parable. One son, he said, I want you to go out in the field and work. And the son said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go. Then the father left, and afterwards he felt guilty about it, went out to the field and worked. He had a change of heart. Then it's, Jesus said this, the man came to the second son and said the same thing, and he said, I will go, sir, yeah, uh, but he did not go. 
Which of the two, Jesus asked, did the will of his father? They said, the first, obviously. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. People that look good on the outside, but their hearts are far from God. People who may look good on the outside, say the right words, but are disobedient in their heart to God. It's so important to, to, to take this amazing gift that God has given us. Here's another observation about the miracle. Telling others how good it is to do what Jesus says didn't bring God's full blessing. Say to others, hey, yeah, that's a really good thing to do. You should do it. That doesn't bring the blessing to your life. Here's ultimately what brings God's amazing blessing, his amazing favor on your life. Putting it into practice and doing what Jesus said brought the blessing. They had to take that net and do what seemed illogical. Throw it on the right side of the boat in order to catch 153 fish. Now, I believe this with all of my heart. All through the night when they were fishing, who kept the fish from going in the net? God did. Jesus wanted to send the message to the disciples that without me, disciples, you can do nothing. What you think you're so good at fishing, without me, you can't do it. You caught nothing. But when I come into the picture and I tell you to throw the net on the right side of the boat, it seems illogical, but if you obey me, all of a sudden you have a catch beyond your wildest imaginations. 153 fish amazing blessing. I want to challenge you today. Are you living according to the promises and wisdom of God? Are you living according to what he says? That ultimately brings the blessing. James 1.22, we all know the verse, I think. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just hear the word of God and not respond to it. But know that there's a God who loves you, who died on the cross for you who wants to give an amazing restoration between you and your heavenly father. That's exactly what he's doing in the life of Peter. See, there's a slippery slope that often happens with believers. What happens is this. Uh, they, they lose biblical perspective on life. They don't see life through the lens of God's word. And they begin to doubt the power of God and they get disgruntled with God and they don't understand why God is allowing this or that. And they begin to question God and who he is. And then what happens is this. They focus on problems and failures rather than on, on what they have in Christ. They see their problems and failures and somehow begin to drift away from God as if God is failing. And then they begin this negative self-talk. God can't use me. I've drifted too far away. God can't use me. I have failed him too badly. My sins are too serious. He can never use me. Then what happens after that? They isolate themselves from other believers. They pull away from other Christians and from fellowship and from being with other believers. And they believe that they are defeated in their struggle. And ultimately, they wrongly conclude that there's no hope. And that's probably where Peter was at. How could God ever forgive me? How could Jesus ever forgive me? I denied him three times. I cursed and said I didn't even know him. How could he ever forgive me of that? Those same feelings that the disciples were struggling with, the guilt and the failure and the shame and the discouragement and 
the feeling like they wanted to give up, maybe you have struggled with in your life. But I want to tell you today with all the conviction I can, our God is an amazing God. He wants to draw you back. He wants you in a right relationship with Him. He doesn't want you drifting away anymore. He wants you to believe that by the power that he can give you, just like the disciples, when Jesus told them, throw the net on the right side, 153 fish with me, you can accomplish great things. With me, you can accomplish great things. I want to tell you, today is the day to make a change. Now is the day to come back to Jesus. And the second thing I want to remember is this. Remember, Jesus' grace can overcome our greatest sins. There are people that have said to me, Oh, Mel, you don't know my background. You don't know my sins. You don't know what I've done. I've done some pretty terrible things. I said, and I've said this many times, obviously, we are all sinners, amen? We're all sinners at the foot of the cross. And if there's one thing the cross demonstrates to us is how powerful the love of God is, how amazing the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is to cover even our greatest sins. See, the temptation is to go back when you get down, to give up. I'm not good at this. See, Peter denied Christ three times. You might be reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, He said, he who denies me before men, I will what? Deny before my Father who is in heaven. Wow. Wow. And as shocking as it is that Peter denied Christ three times, we know in our own hearts there are moments when we've denied Christ. Times when we could have taken a stand for Jesus and didn't. Times when we could have told others about Christ and we're silent. And in our own heart, we feel like, man, Lord, I just denied you. That's why I love John 21 so much. Because for me, it's an amazing message of hope. It's an amazing message of forgiveness. It's an awesome message of the love of Christ. It's an awesome message. People have asked me, is denying Christ the unforgivable sin? Because if it is, I've done it. And I feel so guilty. I, I feel so guilty about it. I, I've denied Christ. Is it unforgivable? I've heard there's an unpardonable sin that's talked about in the Bible. What is that? Let me tell you exactly what it is. It talks about that sin in Mark chapter 3. Let me read the verse to you. Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter... But whoever utters a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Here's what the unpardonable sin is. It's ultimately rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to lead you to salvation, to lead you to the point of repentance and putting your faith in Christ. If you reject that and you die in that rejection, that sin is unpardonable. Like what one author said, the only unpardonable sin today is that of continuous unbelief. There is no pardon for a person who dies in his rejection of Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in this world, at work in your life, convicting the unsaved of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If a person resists that conviction and remains unrepentant, then that person is choosing hell over heaven. That is the unforgivable sin. I've told people, if you're feeling convicted about possibly for, uh, committing the unpardonable sin, you could not have con committed it. The Holy Spirit would never waste his time on someone who committed an unpardonable sin. 
If you're feeling convicted about something, that's the work of the Holy Spirit telling you to come back to Jesus. Think of Peter, a man who had been with Jesus three years, a man who walked on water. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead and yet was too afraid to acknowledge Christ before a servant girl. But he would be forgiven. In fact, he would become the leader of the early church. You know, I love the words here that are used in the text. Now, it represents the Aramaic language which Peter and Jesus were speaking, but this represents what happened in the Greek. See, when Jesus said, do you love me? He used the word agape in the text. It it writes the word agape here. Agape is that love you've probably heard about, unconditional love, this highest of loves, right? Most noble of loves, self-sacrificing love. Peter, do you love me? Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Now, he uses the word phileo because the guilt that he was experiencing was so great, he knew that he could not say, oh, yes, Lord, I love you with this really powerful agape, unconditional love when the denials were fresh in his memory. So when, when Jesus says in the Aramaic, hey, Peter, do you have an unconditional love for me? Peter responds by saying, using the word phileo here, yes, Lord, I have a strong affection for you. He didn't have the strength to even acknowledge that level of love for Jesus. Jesus says it a second time. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter uses the same word, yes, Lord, I love you, phileo you. Then the third time, the text says this, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Jesus comes down to his level. Jesus abandons the word agape and uses the word here, phileo. Peter, do you have a strong affection for me? And Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. See, God would take that imperfect love and still use Peter to change the world. He would be the leader in the early church giving a sermon and thousands of people would come to faith in Christ. And if you're sitting here today thinking that God cannot use you because of some sin in the past or action from the past, He can. He can restore you just like He did to Peter. He can restore you. And He gives you this amazing free gift of forgiveness. You know, I think I told you my daughter, Mandy, uh, she's uh, 21. She has been dating this guy for a few years. They went to Point Loma Nazarene University together. And uh, they were, my, my two daughters, Mandy and Joelle, and Mandy's boyfriend, Brennan, were going to go to Paris together. And they went to Paris. Uh, my kids can fly for free because my wife works for the airlines. Brennan, Mandy's uh, boyfriend, saved up his money to go to Paris. And he intended to ask my daughter to marry him at the foot of the Eiffel Tower. And it was a beautiful thing this past summer. But my daughter didn't know about it. She didn't know what was going to happen. And she didn't know that we were planning to fly there to surprise them and join them in the celebration. So when we got to Paris, we landed the same day that Brennan was going to ask my daughter to to marry him. And uh, we landed at the airport. We got on the train. We were working our way to the Eiffel Tower. And the train that we were going to take, they said there was some work on the tracks. So they said, we have to stop about four stops before we get to the Eiffel Tower. 
And we're like, we got to get there. This is happening in like a half an hour. They said, we're sorry, the train ends here. You got to walk the rest of the way. And we said, how long is that? And she said, five minutes. Well, as it turned out, it took five minutes till you could see the Eiffel Tower way off in the distance. So we're running through Paris trying to get to this this engagement. We didn't want to miss it. They were going to do it at 3 o'clock, and they were going to assume that if we weren't there, that we didn't catch the train, we couldn't make it, and we would have missed it. But we ended up, here's a picture of us on our way. We're running to the Eiffel Tower. We're trying to get there to watch this engagement with my daughter. We get there just in time as Brennan gets on his knee in front of the Eiffel Tower and asks my daughter to marry him. And we come from the bushes, and, and all of a sudden my daughter looks around, and she's like, wow, what are you guys doing here? And this guy, a nice Parisian, comes up and says, oh, congratulations. And he hands them a bottle of champagne. And my daughter, Mandy, says, oh, thank you. That's so nice of these Parisians to give a bottle of champagne at my engagement. And we were celebrating and having a good time. And then that same guy that walked up said, "Um, could I have my money for the champagne now, please? See, it wasn't a, she was like, oh, what a free gift. It wasn't a free gift after all. He wanted, and she said, well, I thought you were getting, no, this, you have to pay for it. How, how much is it? And he gave this really high, enormous price for this free gift, right? Aren't you thankful our God is not a giver like that? Aren't you thankful that when he says the price was paid for by Jesus Christ and it's a free gift, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to add to it. It's yours to rejoice in that and to know that God's work on the cross was so awesome. It covers every sin that I have ever committed and that you have ever committed. And God has a work for us to do. That brings me to the third point. It's this. Reignite your passion for the preeminence of Jesus. I want to go back a little bit. He says to Simon, the first time he asked him, do you love me? He says, Simon, do you love me more than these? There's a debate going on as to what was Jesus referring to? Some say he was referring to the other disciples and saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think Jesus would want to say that in front of the other disciples. I do think this was a public restoration of Peter in front of the other disciples. See, Peter had gone back to fishing, what he knew best, what he loved a great deal. And as they're sitting around with the 153 fish and the fishing boat right there and the nets on the shore, I believe Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than all the accoutrements of fishing, all the accessories of fishing? Do you love me more than all of these things that you're so comfortable with? And what Jesus was challenging Peter to acknowledge is that our love for Jesus has to be more than anything else in the world. More than anything else that Jesus needs to have first place in our lives. And as we come to Jesus and and understand his amazing grace, here's our part. It's to put Jesus first place in our lives. And when we're confronted with the message of the cross and of amazing grace, we say, God, I put you first place in my life. Nothing else, no other loves, not my spouse, not my kids, not my stuff, comes close to my love for you. See, Jesus caused them to have this overflowing catch. Who caused the 153 fish to swim into the net? Jesus did. And Jesus caused them to catch nothing. 
And Jesus is challenging Peter. Peter, when you stay with me, you will do much more than you ever imagined. When you are empowered by me, you'll make a difference in all of eternity. And that leads me to the fourth point. It's this. Receive what Jesus is excellent in giving to others. Life-changing restoration. See, Jesus gave Peter a new start, a new challenge. A new start, a new challenge. Peter would indeed be fishing again, but for people and leading in the task of feeding God's sheep. Look what he says after the third ask. When Jesus said to him the third time, feed my sheep. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That's a euphemistic way of prophesying that Peter would die on a cross. That's exactly what happened. We know that Peter was crucified, but he was crucified how? Upside down. He didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Christ. So Jesus is prophesying exactly how Peter will die. They will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now you might think that would be discouraging for Peter to hear. Hey, Peter, you're going to be crucified. But I believe it was encouraging for Peter to hear. I believe that he was experiencing so much guilt from his failure of denying Christ three times that he wondered, would I fail again? Will I fail sometime in the future? But Jesus is saying, you know what? You you are going to do exactly what you said you would do. You are going to take a stand for me. You're not going to deny me again. And you will end up dying for me. And Jesus said to him, follow me. I want to encourage all of us to have that same attitude as well. That if Jesus is truly first place in our lives, nothing else in life comes close. In fact, we enjoy it more because we know all of these things are gifts from God that he's given to us to use for his glory. So Jesus desires to do the same for you. He will meet you in your disappointments, in your hurts, in your failures, and challenge you to get back to your calling, to living once more for the kingdom. Please don't ever feel you're disqualified from doing anything for Christ because of a sin in the past. That's a message from Satan, not from Christ. That's a message not from the God who went all the way to the cross to free you from your sin. And as we close, I want to give you some practical things you can do right now. Practical thing number one, prioritize a lifestyle of loving, adoration, and worship of Jesus. Come to Jesus now. Prioritize the lifestyle of saying, Jesus, I want to worship you with my life. No more putting me as number one. No more seeing uh, someone else as number one in my life or some other thing. You have the preeminent place in my life. You are first place. I love you more than anything in this world. That's what Romans 12 says. A lifestyle of worship, laying your body on the altar as a living sacrifice. Number two, draw near to the Lord before, during, and after your struggles. You might say, Mom, Mel, I don't have any struggles right now. Draw near to God. Draw near to Jesus. Have a vibrant relationship with Him because you know it's coming. In the middle of your struggle, draw near to God. Don't walk away. After the struggle is over, don't lose sight of who brought you through that struggle. Draw near to God. Make a lifestyle of drawing near to Him. And the Bible says He will draw near to you. I love the story of the prodigal son. I know uh, one of our guest uh, preachers spoke on it in the summer 
of the Father running to the Son who's coming back to Him. The only place in God's Word where God is perceived as running. When? When He's running to embrace a sinner who's returning to Him. I love that picture of our God. Here's number three. Balance ministry doing with refreshing and feeding yourself. Peter is told to feed my lambs, feed my sheep. The importance of feeding and tending the flock to make sure you're feeding yourself spiritually. Even Jesus did that. You know, people have said to me, well, hey, why would Jesus withdraw to pray when there are all these sick people around him? Well, it's exactly what he did, though. He, he withdrew to pray. It says this, but now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their affirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He modeled for us exactly what we need to balance in our lives. Not to be so into doing for God that we never spend any time ourselves in the Word of God and being fed spiritually. And not to be so into the Word of God that we don't do anything for Him to have that life of balance. Here's the fourth thing. Stop all paralyzing, negative thinking, self-condemnation. If anyone here is saying, God can't use me anymore. I've done something too evil, too wrong. Don't believe that. That is not from God. God's grace is awesome and it's amazing. Here's number five. Reject debilitating isolation and move towards deepening constructive relationships. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I know in my Christian life, I've been so blessed by imperfect, sinful Christians who've built me up and encouraged me. Without them, I would have not been at all the believer that I am today, and I still need to grow even more. But it was through the work and encouragement of other Christians that impacted my life. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Encourage one another. Build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. May Riverview Church be known as a church that encourages one another, that builds one another up, that is really into edifying one another and strengthening one another, especially when someone feels down and discouraged. And lastly, this. Seek to help and serve others as you shift the focus away from yourself. See, what Jesus told Peter, in essence, is this. Peter, do you love me? serve others. Do you love me? Serve others. And that same message is true for the church today. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. Parents, serve your children. Children, serve your parents. People in church, serve one another. And demonstrate that amazing love of Jesus Christ that has changed your life. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. And as your hearts are bowed today, maybe today is your day to say, Lord, I place my faith and trust in you. And right now in your seat, you can, you can do that. You're confronted by the amazing love of this God that created you, and you know you've never placed your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross. You can tell him right now, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life and take control of my life. I want you to have first place in my life. And the moment you do that, you're forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God and you're changed by his power. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for how you restored Peter in such a loving, gentle, and merciful way. 
and you used him in a powerful way to build the church. God, we pray that each one of us would experience the full realization of our calling to make a difference in eternity for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Please greet one another. Sign up for the bunch of stuff that's out there and live this week. All for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.